0: Welcome to PX45 Today, I'm Jess Noonan and as always I'm joined by my colleague Peter Jewell. Hello Jess. Can you believe this is our 45th episode, Pete?
1: Fantastic, I can't wait for PX50, Jess.
0: Crazy. Today we're joined by a wonderful author, David Sornig. David Sornig is a writer with an interest in marginal places, lost histories, literature and self-invention. He's published two books, Spiel, which was published in 2009, and Blue Lake, published in 2018. Blue Lake will be the focus of our discussion today and documents a historical, biographical and personal excursion through the former West Melbourne Swamp and the Great Depression-era shanty town Dudley Flats. In 2008-2009, he was the Charles Pick Fellow in Creative Writing at the University of East Anglia and in 2011 and 2012 was awarded grants by the Australian Council, Arts SA and Arts Victoria. In 2015, he received a State Library of Victoria Creative Fellowship and was a finalist in the Melbourne Prize for the SA Jubilee, a hymn for Elsie Williams on Dudley Flats. Welcome to the show, David.
1: Thanks, Jess. Hi, Peter. David, can you give our listeners a bit of a bio in
2: uh, one minute? In one minute. Um, very relevant, I guess, to this book is that uh, I grew up in sunshine in uh, Melbourne's western suburbs and uh, yeah, came out of that uh, unscathed and happy and um but i've always been very attached uh to the west even though i don't live there anymore um i have went on and did a um a degree in literature and creative writing at Deakin university and did my phd there in creative writing as well and uh so aside from writing so i'm, I'm always attached to writing and to um and to to literature um i uh have taught uh, at, uh, you know, a number of universities around the place. I was lecturing at uh, Victoria University for a few years and at uh, Flinders University. But I teach uh, at Melbourne University now in creative writing. Um, But I balance that with uh, actual writing. Uh, So, yeah, everything's revolving around writing all the time.
0: And so why the title of your book, Blue Lake?
2: So in... 1912, uh, George Gordon McRae, who was uh, an early white settler uh, in the area, wrote about uh, what was uh, the West Melbourne Swamp and his memories of it uh, in the probably in the 1840s or so when he remembered it uh, as what he described as a beautiful blue lake, uh, a real blue lake. He described it as and um and that's a reference to the um the saltwater tidal lagoon that was uh, that really dominated the area between what is today north melbourne and let's say spencer street and the maribyrnong river and south of dynan
1: road david uh two questions here why the subject and how what was the length of the project I mean, you probably had the genesis of, of the idea and that probably bubbled along but was it two years was it three years uh so the the reason i'm interested in uh,
2: initially was you know again that germ of uh trying to work out why the west why the western suburbs are the way they are and um, i was always fascinated by that and uh then i kept hearing references to uh, the west melbourne swamp this is probably four years ago or so uh, to the West Melbourne Swamp and to the what was the Dudley Flat shantytown during the Great Depression. And that was really the hook into it, hearing these references to it. And so once I got started on the project in it's probably mid-2015, it took me about eighteen months to uh, from the beginning of the research to to finalizing the manuscript at the end of end of 2016, early twenty seventeen
1: and the area is extremely close to melbourne cbd it's one or two within a mile is it about that yeah about about a mile yeah. a and it was originally swampy as you said and uh, early on it was home to noxious industries the original course of the yarra flowed through it it's the the docks were there it was used as a, a massive tip for a long time by the railways city of melbourne and then it was home to various fringe dwellers who raked over that tip and that's how they the scavengers uh, somehow out of sight to the mainstream populace. Do, do you think that's a fair description? Yeah, absolutely. It I, is. I can say I really enjoyed your book, David. So <laughs> thank you. Um,
2: yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely a fair description, and it's um, it's it's the kind of place that has been. Uh, there's been there have been many attempts to reshape the area over over the last eighteen decades. You know, since uh, uh, European settlement of the area, and that's been. Uh, successful in some ways and unsuccessful in, in other ways and depends what you mean by success because you know erasing that landscape is you know I don't measure that as a great success uh, by any means.
0: So who were the people living there?
2: Uh, the people living there came there there were people dotted around there during the 1920s uh, you know scavenging a little bit on tips uh, Uh, But certainly at the beginning of the Great Depression, uh, because the rubbish tips were located in the area, uh, uh, people, you know, they didn't come en masse, but, you know, there were a good... uh, somewhere between 40 and 60 there were descriptions of a hundred or hundreds of people living there at one stage but i think that's probably exaggerated but there were people who were uh, basically marginalized um, uh, by the great depression didn't have anywhere else to go there was a lack of housing particularly around uh, north melbourne and uh, they eventually drifted down there there was uh, there was a kind of an un- unregulated Uh, uh, qualities to the area. There was no sort of, nobody wanted to claim jurisdiction for it.
1: And that's because it was split between several different government agencies, one of the reasons? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And and how is the land now, a lot of our listeners are outside of Victoria, so how would you describe its... How it is now the, okay the zone as you call the it. the zone i call it the zone and i'll explain that <laughs> yes. um at some point uh so at
2: the, right now it's become uh the port of melbourne uh swanson dock and appleton dock uh container yards uh to and the, it's bisected by uh footscray road and which to the north of that is the former wholesale markets uh freight rail yards um, Docklands, the, the Docklands redevelopment um, is at the eastern end of that, um, so basically dominated heavily by, by industry and by, by uh, transport.
0: Your writing suggests at times that there's an obsession with the place. Was this difficult and did you feel lonely on this task?
2: I was always, often alone, but I don't think I felt lonely, and that's in a, in a number of ways. Um, and certainly, yes, an obsession. And I think when you have an obsession with something, you don't feel uh, alone doing it because a you're you're actually connecting with people. So you know, you're going out talking to people about their memories of things, and you're know, doing the the talking research. Uh, but you're also spending a lot of time, you know, with those those ghosts of the past that, that you find in traces in the archive, and they're. Um, you know that that's a dialogue in itself.
0: Yeah. Is yeah. how many years did it take you to write the book? Like, yeah, what it was, was it process? was eighteen months that 18 I,
2: months. I, I I spent with it. But I you know continuously still present it's still present for me. Um, and I'm I'm still digging up
1: bits and pieces of uh, uh, research. Mm-hmm. David, there's an incredible amount of research into the book. Um, can you describe <clears throat> some of this research, and how and how you were able to do that? Yep. So. Uh, A lot
2: of the research was uh, piecing that obsessive work of piecing things together, kind of like detective work, uh, particularly the biographies of of the three people I write about. uh, piecing together their biographies out of, out of really small fragments sometimes. Uh, a lot of news, uh, old newspaper research. Uh, uh, you know, Trove is, you know, I mean, thank goodness for digitisation. Um, uh, that's been amazing. Spending a lot of time at the Public Record Office um, and
1: uh, at the State Library of Victoria.
0: Liz Taylor said a very similar thing about Trove in her interview. Yes. Mm. Can you just
1: just quickly tease out what Trove is to our listeners?
0: Okay,
2: so Trove is the National Library of Australia's uh, uh, meta-catalogue, basically. Uh, But it it delivers access to uh, thousands and thousands of uh, historical newspapers, Australian historical newspapers from around the country, everything. So locally in Victoria and in Melbourne, uh, The Age... Uh, the Argus The Herald The Sun uh, These are all been, have all been digitised now all, The Herald is just coming online now more And uh, they're searchable The text is searchable um, It goes up until the mid-1950s
1: um, After that it's a little harder to get access to Because of copyright and, and also you search public records Because there was court documents There was recording of interviews From the First World War I mean there's
2: there's a lot there. There is a, there really is a lot there. There's um, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of material in the public record office. Yes, yeah, as you say, to do with uh, court records. There is a, an entire file on the Dudley Flat shanty town that the City of Melbourne uh, kept, uh, you know, trying to regulate this place.
0: Do you think we can call you a psychogeographer?
1: And what does that term mean? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a leading question. <laughs> um, Yes,
2: okay, so psychogeographers... Because uh, uh, you use that term in the book. I use that term in the book. Mm. Um, so psychogeography is a term that comes out of... Uh, a, Geeta Bord, who was a 1950s French uh, and 60s French Marxist, who was, uh, you know, proposed a way of uh, inhabiting and experiencing cities that, that resisted, you know, consumer capitalism. So walking in, in in many places that you're not meant to walk, and in paths you're not meant to walk, and recording some of that experience. That's been translated into by writers such as uh, the English writer Ian Sinclair into a practice uh, you know, generically called psychogeography. Um, Can you give it an example of a book? Yes, yeah, certainly. So Ian Sinclair's uh, uh, really well-known uh, uh, book, London Orbital, in which he takes a walk around the, um, uh, the M25 uh, motorway around London uh, and tracing the, the, sort of the historical traces and the, the, the cultural and uh, psychological
1: traces of, of you know, events and people in the area. Now, you did something similar at the, at the, in the last chapter of the book. You do a walk around with the Orb Weavers. Yes. And can you describe that process a little bit? Yep. So uh,
2: we walked around. So this is uh, the Orb Weavers, uh, Marita and Stuart. Uh, we and they're a band a, who... They're a band who are very interested in uh, Melbourne's waterways. Uh, actually, went to see them last night presenting their, their new work, which was just incredibly moving. And uh, so we took a walk around, uh, you know, what I call the zone around this, around this area, um, circumnavigating it and effectively tracing uh, the path of what was the Blue Lake. And it's, it's not always a difficult, not always, sorry, an easy area uh, to navigate by foot. Um, you can you pass through areas that you're not really meant to walk through, um, you know, walking through the Port of Melbourne is, you know, more or less, uh, forbidden unless you have permission. And we were stopped there by Border Force and asked what we were doing. And, you know, so had, had fingers shaken at us and said, well, you know, you're artists and researchers, so that's okay, maybe.
0: And so what value does this knowledge of the past um, provide us as a community?
2: I think what it does, it gives us a sense of the, certainly the, the, the geological and the, you know, sort of the physical basis of of uh, where we live and what we've ignored, um, because that that uh, that geological basis of of that area, you know, it's it's Coot Island silt, it's a waterway, and that has really determined the way that place has been used and the human connection to it, and because that's been largely ignored, largely forgotten publicly, it's. It's uh, reviving that and, and making and you know, and doing the research research on that. I think enables us to, to live in the present a little more, you know, fully.
0: Mm. Do you think in the planning industry um, and recognise you're not a planner, but do you think we put too much emphasis on preserving the heritage buildings and sometimes not recognising the the heritage of the place and the community? I-
2: I think those two things are probably connected, and this is definitely as an amateur. But I was having this discussion yesterday with um, uh, a fellow who runs a boat on the on the um, the Maribyrnong River, and he's very aware of this as well. So he's aware of both things that uh, what we have built in place. Often, you know, if they if they heritage uh, places, they did respond to uh, you know the the lay of the land in a way that uh, perhaps. I don't, I'm not not so certain. Perhaps we're not so aware of now. We tend to build these great blocks, you know. I mean, have a look at the... We're, in, you know, sitting, uh, looking over the uh, the CBD of Melbourne and these great towers that uh, keep growing higher and higher. And I don't, I don't think
1: that really responds to what's, what's there at ground level. Um, know yourself, I think. I mean, there, there is this sort of historical amnesia about city life. And also, David, perhaps there is sort of a varnishing of the past or sort of an... Um, What's the word, Jess? Uh, anesthetic? You know, not anesthetic. Like a like a disnification. Yeah, disnification of the past. That you know, twee, You know, how lovely they walked around in frocks and things like that, and yeah. and oh, top hats. And do you think I'm get, got something there, David? I mean, that sort of. I, I, I think what what the past. They were just like us. Those people.
2: R- well, they were and they weren't. And I think we might talk we'll about this a little bit later. But. Uh, I think what's useful is to try to trace continuity. Um, I think when there's a break uh, between the past and the present, that's when we tend to to see the past as these you know places, people in you know in frock coats and mm. and top hats and uh, you know lovely dresses, and I think that makes us think of those people as somehow disconnected to us. But if we can trace the
1: uh, you know, it's it's almost like a family tree, a genealogy of place. That's that's a really important thing to do. A bit off topic, uh, David, but I recently saw Peter Jackson's movie *They Shall Not Grow Old*, where they recolorized the First World War. I've seen and the trailers, they, and they changed the movement. and And 15 minutes in, it's all black and white, and then it changes suddenly. And these people, uh, the old soldiers, they look exactly like us. Yes, and it is so. Uh, amazing to reach out they come back to us absolutely and i think you know I, i've only seen the trailer of it and just that is just incredibly
2: moving and i've even got you know goosebumps just thinking about it but it's the same thing with um you know with art as well that you know we we look at the representation of uh you know the human figure in 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 art in you know, in the renaissance or you know, media, you know medieval art and they look different to us but if we can find that kind of connection That's an important thing. It's an important way of staying connected with the past.
0: Thank you to Song Bowden planners who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website.
1: Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website. In Blue Lake, you bring together various artistic responses to the place: uh, paintings, and uh, paintings aren't that—you know—they don't paint the place well. I'm sorry, no pun. And literature, my brother Jack, but there's no poetry. Is there a project out there that could bring together the art of a place, like a Wikipedia of art and place, to so that people might have a ready connection to a place? I I think about the artist trails. You have artist trails someplace, but something a bit more like Wikipedia. Sure.
2: I was thinking about this last night at, um, so I went to see uh, last night, the Orb Weavers uh, playing at Newport Substation. And uh, I think that kind of place that brings together, so that there was, it was a sort of a, their music um, and artwork and other artwork presented all in one kind of eventful uh, and community space, uh, you know, was incredibly moving to, uh, a, a moving way to connect with place in the in that way, um, whether or not these things are permanent uh, that 's another question you know where would you cite something like this or you know a walking trail yes, but uh, how did how do people you know get access to these places when they are largely not publicly accessible because I think it's important that it 's in
1: place in in your, in your book, um, you trace the evolution of the area through quite. Three quite distinct characters, Jack Peacock, uh, Elsie... Elsie Williams and... Lauda Rogge. Yes, very different. Why did you do that and uh, would you do that again in a different book? I would definitely do that again um they are really compelling three
2: really compelling people um jack peacock was a scrap trader elsie williams was a a, a singer born in bendigo of afro-caribbean origin and Lada Rog was a was a sailor who came to australia in 1900 and ended up living on a stranded ship on the uh, the original course of the yarra um and so his his boat was stranded there and they they all i think uh, are. uh uh Symbolic of that place they uh, they speak to different aspects of economic life there um, of marginalization uh, of Race relations um, The white Australia policy they they all speak to some part of of Australian
1: history at that time So yes, I would definitely uh, Write them again, and there's quite a moving part in the book David where you go up to Bendigo and you place some soil from Elsie's grave on her mother's grave Yes, you're a Bendigo girl. You should go to visit this cemetery. It quite a, it must have been quite a moving thing for, quite a personal tribute. It was. Um, so just because you explain yeah, a bit. So that?
2: so so what I did. So Elsie Elsie Williams um, was born in Bendigo uh, in 1901, and uh, so her parents were uh, you know, Jamaican West Indian who came to Australia in the in the 19th century. And uh, so they were, uh, would have been unusual for their time there. And uh, the sense of Elsie's uh, marginalisation through her life, and she lived a, 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 a life of, you know, she was a very talented singer, um, but fell on really hard times, was an alcoholic and, um, you know, could lash out incredible violence sometimes no, I thought she were a
1: little bit sympathetic to her she would have scared me a lot
2: she scared a lot of people um, but a lot of people who knew her also and knew her uh well enough to speak to her knew her as an incredibly talented and intelligent woman and um but she was incredibly volatile and that's you know i think that's a fair description of her but so uh, her mother died when she was uh six years old i think and uh I don't have the sense. I didn't have the sense that Elsie had ever gone back to her mother's grave. And there's a, there's a moving scene at uh, the mother's funeral, um, which is described in the mother's obituary, where they stand around singing uh, a hymn. And the um, hymn was. And the hymn was, uh, I think, connected to the Fisk Jubilee Singers, sort of sort of slave uh, uh, spirituals called uh, "Jesus Leads Me All the Way," and um, there are various blues versions of this, which are. Uh, incredibly good uh beck has a version of it um and so i felt really uh compelled to bring something of elsie back to her mother um and not not just as a way of even though i write about it in the book and i, I was very conscious of you know writing about it afterwards but i felt compelled to to find this place and to you know i kind of did this you know returning of the earth uh, in a way, it was spontaneous, but um, it felt very meaningful when I did it. Uh, so writing about it also—it it feels a way of making something perhaps private public.
1: So you took some soil from Elsie's grave in yes, Melbourne, in Melbourne General Cemetery, and, it and dropped that soil, singing yes. that hymn yes. on her mother's grave. Great, oh, it's yes. quite a, a remarkable thing, Jess. So you must go to Bendigo Cemetery to visit this place. Now, the, yep. Stop. David, there is a danger which you describe in the book when writing on the subjects, uh, the three subjects we talked about, of applied empath- empathy, a problem identified by Inga Clendinen. Can you just explain this to our listeners? And I guess back to that when you said they're not the same as us.
2: Yeah. That, so that, so Inga Clendinen's, uh, to contextualise, was uh, critiquing Kate Grenville's Secret River, and, uh, which is a work of historical fiction. Um, well, is a work of fiction uh, set in the um, uh, uh, you know, the early 19th century. Yeah, and uh, Sir Clendinian critiques um, uh, uh, Grenville for imagining uh, the minds of people who are effectively alien uh, to us. Uh, so people, uh, so you know, white settlers from the early 19th century who really have no... We don't share as we or we don't know um, uh, what their cultural understanding of the place and the emotional understanding of, of themselves was um, and so it projects onto the um, uh, the minds of the, you know these imagined characters of the past uh, an understanding from the present and that it's legitimate to do in a way there's nothing else we can do um, but it's necessary to acknowledge that I think um, that's the the important Point that comes across from this idea of uh, applied empathy that we, you know we can't just say, well, these people were like us because we just don't know that they were like us unless they left. Unless uh, the only way we can know uh, what they th- thought is from uh, the archive and from the written records, um,
1: and even that can be fairly contested. They might. That's right. People, people tend to be very careful what they leave behind in <laughs> the records. That, that's
2: exactly right. So, which is why that. So the the question. So. Uh Clendinan's problem with uh, uh, Grenville was that Grenville basically said, oh, no, no, no this is history. Um, so equated her work of fiction uh, with the work of the historian, and that's where Inga Clendinen had took a bit of umbrage at that, and I think that's fair.
0: Just returning to Dudley Flats. For a time, the place was synonymous with chaos and disorder, a place outside the mainstream. It had a population of about 40 or 60, I think you mentioned earlier, and had a notorious reputation. Despite this, the authorities found Tintown no worse than many slums in inner Melbourne and didn't move the residents on. Some of the residents claimed a libertarian attitude to the mainstream. Eventually, it was cleared for harbour redevelopment. What does this period tell us today?
2: I think it tells us that uh, it's very difficult to resist uh, forces of, uh, you know, Uh, politics, ideology, um, economy, um, because the people were moved on, Uh, you know, these, it's an area that kind of fell into the, into the spaces, so nobody was looking at it, Um, but once uh, these spaces become visible, and I worry that, you know, this is going to encourage people to find more of these invisible places, um, and, you know, and they become subject to development, basically. So, you know, we live in uh, uh, an, econ- an economy that's driven mostly by, you know, free market development. Uh, so, and or is in the service of the market in some way. So that, you know, those, in this case, large scale infrastructure projects like uh, the Port of Melbourne and the rail yards and the markets, uh, this place came to be seen as a more useful uh, productive use of that that place that area than uh than just leaving it open and basically having having some rural space uh right in the middle of the
1: city david you, your book explores questions about those strange and singular places in the urban fabric much as you were just talking about where chaos is difficult to contain can you talk to this and and where are these places in contemporary cities without tipping off the authorities <laughs> without tipping <laughs> off the authorities um, uh,
2: Yeah, the, the, sorry, I didn't have an answer here. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, okay, so the idea that uh, these, these singular places uh, where, where chaos is difficult to contain, okay, the the question is really for me one about what is chaos, Um, uh, because I think that Dudley Flats was, Uh, viewed as an area of chaos or that entire zone was seen as a as a an area of chaos in that it was unregulated uncontrolled Um, but you could look at you know uh federal parliament and say that's a place of chaos as well Um, and that's you know it it, and i I mean that as a joke but i also mean that seriously as well Um, but i think these these places what the the reason they are Chaotic. So let's take the uh, the West Melbourne Swamp as a chaotic place um, to put it under that banner. The, one of the reasons that it is, is that that it became that is that it was that you know that again that the the basis of the area it's geology, um, the fact that the, the waterways that there were sheets of water moving over the place, um, it became a place that. So w- we ignore these things. Um, at our peril if we want to actually live in harmony with uh, with place we need to recognize these kinds of um, these aspects of place um, you know, the geology um, you know not what's actually comes pardon me Accept
1: places not yes things.
2: that's right that's exactly right that's exactly right work live with them
1: your, your book encourages readers to look harder at the places they live at you know the streets they walk the buildings they enter the empty spaces they pass and to see them in intricate layers of time and history that have been hidden from view, where did this motivation come from, and why is it important? Um, I think those it's hidden in, places. Yeah, those hidden places are important. Uh, Take again, a second look, almost.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, again, I think it's important to see uh, the way that we are connected. Uh, so to trace that genealogy of connection. So, I mean, it's a little bit in contradiction to the, the thing of applied empathy, that um, viewing the past as a, a, an, a, an incredibly strange place. Um, I think uh, looking at those empty places and presume people presume that they have no history um, or that nothing has happened there um, or that whatever has happened there has been you know, utterly forgotten, Um So making that connection, finding that connection, even if it's an imaginative connection sometimes, and importantly flagging that it's an imaginative uh, connection. I don't think you can just pass off imagination as fact. Um, You have to uh, flag the fact that, well, we have to imagine ourselves into places. Um, I think that's an important part of that.
0: Could it be said that places without a past are sad?
2: They are sad if we think that they don't have a past because they do have a past. Every place have a, has a past, even if, again, if we can't if we can't find the uh, the specific connection, the specific understanding, we can we can understand places um, uh, again imaginatively or by reconstructing a kind of a general sense that you know, well, this is
1: the kind of industry that went on in this place. Or, you know, so the, the working history of a place. David, you mentioned places have a past. Your research in the period of 18 months uncovered so much and brought so much that was dusty in in old archives. You've created this new knowledge and understanding of this place. So that gives me hope that there's many other places that this could be. Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, not to want to pigeonhole myself, but this seems to be where I'm going with my own writing, my own work that I am, I'm,
1: Psycho- alive i 'm
2: I'm alive to this now, I always had an inkling that there was something about this place, you know really you know since I was a kid you know there, there was something odd about this place and that didn 't connect somehow and um, this kind of has given me the uh, you know, the confidence to follow my intuition with these things so i 'm not pursuing more of those connections
0: mm. and so what surprised you about your writing on Blue lake?
2: What surprised me was that uh, despite the Blue Lake being a, a shallow lake, the depth of the place uh, is you know, almost endless, I think. Uh, it's, it's, I still haven't hit the bottom.
1: What a beautiful answer. Please finish this sentence, David. If you're thinking of writing a book on social history of an area, prepare to... Dot, dot, dot. You need to live in the archive. Um,
2: <laughs> you really do. And spend a lot of time with it. And a lot of time holding together... Uh, these uh, you know fragments in an imaginative way in a way that that connects them and uh, you know using your intuition um so you can expect to have you know that incredibly uh, to me it's a kind of joyous experience when you make a connection
0: mm-hmm. is there a particular message you'd like to give to our listeners
2: um that the past is you know again it's it's inexhaustible um but we also have to think about you know and so the future so the future to me so we have to yeah you know, we always do that thing of thinking about past present and future and the past to me is uh inexhaustible because we can imagine so much from that uh the future has always to me been a profoundly um, uh, not difficult place to imagine but you know it's radically uncertain we don't know the future the future hasn't happened yet you know this concept of time but what both of them do you know give us you know, they they enrich you know the present moment um and i think that's yeah that's pretty much the message that i'd like to get across
1: and david who who do you think this your blue lake would particularly appeal to what readers
2: i think people who are interested in in Connecting with place. So while it's a very specifically Melbourne book, um, so obviously you know there's there's going to be a, a fairly significant uh, Melbourne readership. Um, uh, there's also a kind of a, a, a connection with readers uh, of people like you know Ian Sinclair, Rebecca Solnit, uh, Olivia Lang, people who you know so readers who are interested in place and in in the intimacy of place. So having having a really intimate you know connection with place
1: and what are you working on a new project is is something similar in the pipeline um they're sketchy ideas but i'm
2: interested in uh the word waste um and that's everything at the moment from wasted words to wasted time to uh material waste and the way we treat these culturally
0: and David, how do you relax and unwind when I you're not walk. writing?
2: I walk. <laughs> that really is the, the way I unwind and relax.
0: That's good. Do Do you walk into the city?
2: Uh, no, I live no. too far away. Okay. But I don't. I barely drive. Yeah. Um. So I public transport or I walk. Um.
1: Everywhere.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Pete, what's got your attention lately?
1: Well, Jess, I volunteered at the Queenscliff Music Festival uh, last weekend. I was on the blues train and I cannot tell listeners what fun I had, not just helping the musos set up and, and working with the crowds and helping people and just being part of something, but the, you know, music festivals are just such um, a lifting experience David, do you like music festivals? Yeah, I
2: do. I really do. Have I, I haven't been to Queenscliff music oh, festival nice. come yet. And
1: come yeah. and catch the train with me, the Blues train. I'll do it next year. I'd love to. But be just there. that sense of goodwill and uh, you're volunteering and everyone's pitching in and everyone's having a good time and the musos are such brilliant artists. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, well, listeners, thank you, David, very much for a, a wonderful, yeah, and, thank you, David, uh, wonderful uh, interview and listeners i really enjoyed the book i didn't want to finish it it's, that's that's how much i enjoyed it next episode will be px46 we'll be interviewing dr elizabeth taylor our podcast cousin from this must be the place on her new book uh, till then listeners um, enjoy thanks thanks, thanks david